Hi everyone, this is uh, Maryam Shapira Basri and today we are going to talk about uh, Conference of Paris COP28 which uh, ended on December 13th in uh, Dubai, UAE and um, it has like lots of uh, important outcomes and uh, it was uh, so to say very luxurious venue, uh, uh, one of the venue where lots of energies of lots of observers and parties were wasted walking outside the venue and getting uh, uh, to, to the venue where we wanted to attend uh, events and participate. Uh, but that debate aside, uh, today we have invited uh, Harjit Singh, uh, who is uh, Head Global Political Strategy at uh, Can International. And he's also Global Engagement Director at uh, Fossil Treaty. Thank you so much, Harjit Bhai, for joining us today. Um, uh, COP28, uh, you know, a lot happened and uh, in many ways, Cops are always like controversial too uh, when it comes to negotiations and also other arrangements. Uh, but most of the uh, uh, this COP was important in a way that global uh, stock take uh, was, you know, a kind of success. Uh, and global stock take is for the viewers that it's it's uh, it's a kind of uh, document or kind of evaluation or make yourself accountable related to climate actions and what kind of support is there, you know, for every country is that. And the second most important outcome was uh, uh, that was like the first week of COP28 and that was a like, huge success, so to say, uh, the uh, establishment of loss and damage fund that was finalized. Uh, so, um, I wanted to take your comments on that, that how, uh, you know, uh, that is going to happen actually, practically, how countries are contributing uh, funds to it so far and uh, how those funds would be distributed among uh, developing countries. Thank you. Mariam, a pleasure to join you again. Um, so yeah, um, this COP has been very, very different from uh, many previous ones. So uh, people are calling it historic. Uh, I can say yes, historic, uh, but flawed uh, in so many ways. Uh, no doubt the very first day of the COP28 when the decision on the operationalization uh, of loss and damage fund was achieved, uh, that is unprecedented. It has never happened in the history of any COP where you take a major decision on the very first day of the COP itself. Uh, in fact, there is a saying that nothing is agreed until everything is agreed. So for the issue of loss and damage uh, to be seen as a standalone issue and not being part of a bargaining uh, process um, and the normal trading that happens between issues, uh, I think that that was very significant. And uh, so that also shows the kind of political momentum that was generated over the last few years. So the pressure coming from uh, civil society and governments that actually uh, created this kind of a situation. And also credit should go to the UAE presidency for prioritizing it. And they wanted to start uh, on a positive note and which did help. So from that perspective, it, it was uh, quite significant. Um, of course, uh, we did not get everything that we wanted. For example, the linkage to say uh, scale was not there. So there was no reference to how much money is actually needed. In fact, developing countries uh, insisted for $100 billion annually by 2030. That was not included. Estimates say that we need $290 to $580 billion annually for developing countries. There was no reference to that study. Uh, so from that perspective, you know, there is a problem because we don't want this fund to be just another fund with some million dollars. It's not going to help. 
Uh, of course, we got uh, about $790 million by now uh, committed by developing developed countries to support recovery from climate disasters. But this doesn't really go far enough. As I just said, the scale is massive. Um, and then uh, there are also challenges related to capitalization and how we are going to be raising the initial uh, billions of dollars to start transferring it to developing countries. At the same time, the replenishment cycle is for four years, which, which some of us think is, is a very long period to actually fill the fund. So yes, so we've got the fund and now we need to make sure that it, it reaches a level where, which is commensurate to the need. Um, so yeah, that, that way uh, we have got uh, a lot of work to do going forward. Uh, another uh, major key takeaway from COP28 was uh, the terminology on fossil fuels, which was like transitioning away from fossil fuels by 2050. How do you see it uh, uh, among developing versus developed world uh, when it comes to transitioning away with this term? So we as civil society uh, were very clear right from the beginning when it was announced that UAE is going to be uh, hosting COP28. Now, it being a petrol state, uh, we wanted to make sure that this becomes the key issue for COP28. And of course, momentum has been building for quite some time. For the first uh, time, we got a mention of fossil fuels at COP26 in 2021. Uh, it wasn't enough. It was only mainly referring to coal. Uh, and the fossil fuel was mentioned uh, in reference to uh, subsidies. And that too, the language was very weak. So we kept campaigning and eventually we got this language uh, of transitioning away from fossil fuels. Of course, we wanted a language on uh, phasing out fossil fuels, which is far more robust and specific. But the language transitioning away also gives a very clear indication that eventually we need to be moving away from fossil fuels towards renewable energy. And that's what we need. And that also builds on some of the uh, discussions that have happened so far or decision taken at uh, G20 that we are going to be tripling the renewable energy uh, by 2030 and even doubling the energy efficiency. So in a way, we are walking in the right direction. But the reason we say it's a flawed decision because there's a language on um, abatement uh, of uh, fossil fuels. It also refers to nuclear, which we know is a risky technology. It also talks about carbon removal, which we know has is unproven and you cannot rely on that. So there are those loopholes, or we call them dangerous distractions, which can dilute the uh, decision that was taken to transition away from fossil fuels. Uh, but where we succeeded as developing countries to have a language which says a just, orderly, uh, um, and equitable transition, which is extremely important for developing countries because they are not the ones who have caused the climate crisis. And rich countries have to do more domestically, but they also have to provide resources. So we have got that language. Um, and there's also a specific reference to coal, uh, where it talks about uh, phasing down uh, without any specific target. So it's a weak language. Uh, but the pressure came from developing countries, uh, such as Pakistan, India, South Africa, Indonesia, where they felt there was an undue pressure on coal, while rich countries continue to expand oil and gas in their backyard to the extent that 
five rich countries are going to be the uh, leaders in expanding fossil fuels to the tune of more than 50% between now and 2050. So that, that's why the text was balanced, so that it covers all fossil fuels and the pressure must remain on rich countries to do more. Uh, you just mentioned about um, tripling of renewables energy by 2050. Um, according to IMF report, uh, um, around 70 countries are you know, uh, living under debt uh, distress. So uh, you just mentioned about just an equitable terms as, as well in that. Uh, how do you see it, how that is going to happen in those countries? Uh, and that also includes uh, Pakistan and a lot of other countries as well in that. So, Mariam, the core issue is finance. And uh, unless and until we provide substantive support to developing countries to make that transition, and especially as you mentioned, they are facing debt distress, they will not be able to do that. And uh, it is therefore important that rich countries uh, move away from lip service and actually deliver finance. The scene on finance is pretty bad. Uh, we've got so-called $100 billion target kind of agreed. That's what rich countries are claiming. But we know that majority of that, more than 70%, remains loans, which adds to the debt distress, as you just uh, mentioned. And if developing countries do not get adequate financial support, they'll not be able to make that transition at a pace at which it's needed. So, uh, and there was hardly any progress on finance. Next year, of course, is, is critical because the conversation on new collective quantified goal, which is a new target uh, of, you know, the $100 billion that was agreed, which should be far more realistic, uh, must be agreed. But uh, the way rich countries are um, overly uh, relying on private sector, which has not actually delivered, it's not going to help. And particularly... Uh, on the issues of adaptation and loss and damage, you can't look to market. Markets have failed to provide that kind of support, even on mitigation, where it makes some business sense for them to invest. Uh, so yeah, so the situation of finance is really bleak. Uh, you just mentioned about um, uh, adaptation. So the one of the uh, important key takeaway from COP28 is also like global goal on adaptation. You were just discussing about finances. So how do you see this happening? Like how that is going to happen, especially for the developing world and how do you see the developed world acting on it? So um, again, this COP was quite significant also uh, for the issue of adaptation. So our two-year work program uh, to develop global goal on adaptation uh, was concluded at COP28. Um, we wanted to have uh, specific targets uh, related to uh, enhancing food security or how to deal with hazards uh, related to uh, water and the insecurity that we are facing or even infrastructure loss that we see. Uh, but the adaptation goals uh, that have targets that have been agreed are not specific enough which, which can be uh, measured. So we have got those targets, uh, but not uh, robust enough to measure. So what uh, uh, has also been agreed as part of the decision that another two-year work program is going to be now initiated uh, to work on that metric so that we can we should be able to measure. Where it is really good uh, is on the issue of adaptation cycle, which means that uh, saying how countries now need to do assessments 
of uh, various kinds of impacts that they are facing and likely to face and how they need to develop uh, their plans, how they need to enhance and uh, strengthen their early warning systems. So there are some specific things. But again, if we don't get enough finance, then developing countries can prepare these plans with some support from Green Climate Fund as part of readiness, but they'll not be able to implement those plans, which means if they don't adapt, they will see more loss and damage, which we really don't want to see because we are looking at this continuum of climate action. We need to stay below 1.5. We need to be boosting our adaptation efforts. And if we don't do both, then we are going to see more climate impacts, which means loss and damage. Absolutely. Um, now, uh, more of the discussion in this COP28 was also around uh, cut down uh, the methane emissions. We know that this is the uh, second most contributing uh, uh, gas when it comes to global warming uh, after carbon dioxide. Um, how, how do you see this discussion shifting from carbon dioxide and more towards like methane we know that the discussion around carbon dioxide is, of course, there, but there was there's like specific paragraph related to reduction in methane emissions. So, do you think that uh, the developed world uh, is trying to shift the focus from uh, carbon dioxide emissions because those are like short term uh, when it comes to its consequences on the environment? By ten years time, it 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 will just dissipate. But the carbon dioxide would stay longer in the environment. What are your comments on that? So yes, we have seen a lot of pressure coming from developed countries uh, to get more and more developing countries to agree to methane uh, emission cuts by uh, 2030. And the reason developing countries are quite nervous because when it comes to agriculture and livestock emissions, which are linked to methane uh, and even uh, use of coal uh, in some countries where they are relying on that or even gas in countries such as Nigeria, they are not getting that kind of technology or assistance to reduce these emissions, that's one. And second, agriculture and livestock are food security related issues. So imagine when rich countries can uh, and must reduce their emissions overall, they are not doing it, but they are cherry picking some of these emissions which are closely linked to food security issues or basic survival uh, or access to energy. You know, it is absolutely unfair for developed countries to do that when they have all the kind of technology and finance that's needed to reduce their emissions across the board, you know, and especially as you said, carbon dioxide, which stays in the atmosphere for a very long time, no doubt methane is more dangerous. It's 80 times more potent than carbon dioxide, but then it, it, it is a short lived greenhouse gas uh, that in the atmosphere. So we need to be working across all greenhouse uh, gases, at the same time, looking at some of the needs and priorities of developing countries. And if they want developing countries to act on, on methane emissions, then technology and assistance needs to be provided and not just pressure that we normally see in these negotiations where developing countries are not getting support, but only a pressure to do more and more and increase their climate action targets. Very well said. Uh, and um, how do you see this COP29? I mean, what are your expectations as a civil society uh, organization representative, as a negotiator um, uh, and a face of developing world when it comes to climate change? Uh, what are your expectations and hopes and what kind of profession you would be involved uh, for COP29? So some of the um, achievements that we uh, had at COP28 now need to be turned into uh, real action. 
So we are going to be very closely following how loss and damage fund board is going to be set up and how it uh, looks at various priorities to operationalize it in a manner where money starts going to developing countries. That's one. Global go on adaptation, again, as I said, there's going to be a work program. So how do we engage and make sure it's far more robust in terms of its targets and metrics? And uh, on uh, fossil fuel, of course, the key issue remains that we have, uh, we have discussed we need to transition away. But how? Who does how much? By when? I think some of those things are going to be uh, discussed. And that's where the uh, importance of fossil fuel treaty is, is absolutely vital. Because this is where the conversation must happen in a far more comprehensive manner that what will happen to the workers and economies that are dependent, and I'm referring to developing countries, and what kind of support and international cooperation is required for them, how we can actually have a managed decline. So it's a lot about details on how that should be part of the next conversation. And of course, finance, which cuts across all the issues. And I can tell you, Miriam, uh, that next year, COP29 is going to be the finance COP. And that COP has to deliver finance and not just you know, paying lip service, because if you don't provide finance, uh, then the transition will not happen or we cannot really help developing countries and communities to adapt or even deal with loss and damage. So for me, the focus is going to be on all the areas, but particularly looking at the issue of fossil fuels uh, on how uh, countries are now going to take specific targets and finance to help uh, communities being more prepared and dealing with impacts. Well, uh, thank you so much, uh, Harjit Singh, for your time today. And ladies and gentlemen, the conversation goes back uh, to uh, to fight for uh, climate finance and, of course, uh, everything around revolves around finance uh, for developing world, of course. And uh, we have still a long battle and we have, uh, I think, um, good good team members, I would say, or good uh, players uh, uh, when it comes to climate change and uh, looking forward to uh, what, um, as uh, you, civil society representative uh, and fighter for climate change, uh, will contribute to uh, COP29 and what COP29 has for developing countries. Uh, we will come up uh, 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 for the next issue in uh, next uh, vlog. Until then, goodbye.